0: Hello and welcome to the Elcian Legal Podcast, bringing you expert views and analysis of the legal aspects of transfer pricing and compliance. Our focus is always on real-world, practical insights that you can apply in your everyday work. In this episode, we look at environmental, social and governance, ESG. Elcian Legal's co-founder Paul Sutton talks to Sue Bonney. Sue is a former vice chair and head of ESG at KPMG UK and was previously KPMG's head of tax for the Emo region. She is now an independent ESG advisor. In that role, she helps business leaders and large organizations to shape strategic responses to the responsible business agenda and ESG. Paul and Sue discuss, among other things, what ESG really is, and what an effective ESG strategy should include, her view on ESG scores and in what respects they can be meaningful, and how tax and TP professionals should take account of ESG in the advice that they provide. We hope you enjoyed the discussion.
1: Hello, Sue. Thank you so much for joining us for this, this podcast and talking to us about ESG and, and tax. Before we dive in, I have to say it's something that comes up a lot in the transfer pricing conferences that I tend to go to. And I always tend to leave these sessions feeling just a little bit hazy about well, what does this actually mean and how what is the connection and, and so on. So I'm really delighted uh, that you've taken the time to speak to us today.
2: Thank you. It's good to be here.
1: So, um, to, just to set the scene, I know that you had a leadership role in KPMG's tax practice, and you were also a client-facing tax advisor. So, what was your role into ESG? Um.
2: Okay. So, well, well, look, I was I was head of tax and legal for the EMA region for KPMG for for some years, and it was it was quite a tough job because I took it on in. 2008 which as many of you will remember wasn't the best time economically mm-hmm. um, but what it did do is make me develop a really sort of strategic board level type perspective if you like because we were helping clients put tax in the boardroom and at the heart of their organization strategy but then I also had my own responsibilities as a leader to try and and, and grow the tax and legal services business across EMA for, for KPMG itself and as I say that was in a recession so it was mm-hmm. it, it, it gave me that focus And at the same time as well, we had um, a big focus on responsible tax, which was all about setting out the principles that you needed for a tax strategy rooted in the sort of commercial reality of the client's business. And I guess for people listening today, that might seem pretty obvious, particularly, you know, those involved in transfer pricing and those sorts of things. But at the time, um, for lots of organisations, this was pretty different because they've become used to this kind of drug of the artificial Highly complex tax structuring—you know—that have become the norm. Um, and I and I used to stress then how how tax needed to be at the heart of the business and at the heart of the corporate strategy. Anyway, so so given all that, when I came to the end of the role, it was quite natural to move into a, a client-facing role that was kind of broader, broader, more strategic. Um, it was beyond tax, but it had this kind of business, responsible business lens. Um, And what I was doing then was helping the leaders in, they were our largest and most important clients, look beyond just this profit focus, profit at all costs, only our shareholders matter, to something that was way more sophisticated, um, you know, and holistic. And then as ESG emerged as a way of measuring that that, that sort of approach, I moved from that more general role to become our first head of ESG. Uh, sitting on the board and helping our clients and indeed KPMG itself work through that agenda.
1: Yeah, nice. And, and I definitely remember those days of it was all about tax advantage and going to council and say what are the percentage chances of success and what are the what are, what's the tax saving and and it was definitely part of a community in flux, wasn't it? It's
2: it so was and we'll come back to it. Maybe is it completely dead? I don't know. But it, but but certainly it was it was a world apart from from today. I think. Yes
1: yeah, so, so from a high level perspective how would you describe the relationship between ESG and and tax
2: I I I I think it's important to think about what ESG really is so so the underlying rationale of ESG and ESG ratings is is this idea that a company which pays attention to a, to a broader range of stakeholders so not just its shareholders but also dealing responsibly with its customers with its employees with the communities it it works in the governments the NGOs all these people those companies are more likely to be more resilient and long-lasting and so they should be a better place to put your your capital investment that's that's the underlying rationale so it isn't some CSR or you know narrow sustainability thing about taking plastic cups out of your offices it's a it's a business. It's a strategic issue, and 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 that's the same with tax. You know, touching all parts of the business, it, and it and both of them, I think, need to be owned by the board, but are often poorly understood by the board. Um, and I think if you if you think of it like that, with this kind of emphasis both on responsibility but also resilience, it's quite natural to see how how tax could be an integral part, should be an integral part of any ESG strategy.
1: Right. Makes, makes sense. And so, so obviously, there are a lot of different aspects here in terms of that relationship, how would you break it down into buckets or, or or, or different themes?
2: Yeah, and I think it's important to do that, because otherwise, it can feel a bit sort of overwhelming, you know, where do I start? Um, so I think, let's, let's come up with a few buckets. I think one is just basic compliance. So that's complying with the local tax laws, having the processes for preparing and submitting accurate tax returns, paying the right amount of tax. So really, you know, protecting the company from breaches and fines. Mm. So that's fairly straightforward, fairly core competence for, for tax. I think you then go on and there's that you can put in a commercial lens. So is, is tax properly being factored into business plans and investment proposals? You know, and ESG is driving loads of these. So, you know, new carbon border taxes change the dynamic in a supply chain. You have costs if you're changing, your diversifying your supply chain and, and, and buying from different countries to to mitigate your ESG risk. So there's tax related to that. Um, and then if you do that, does that change where you're making your profits? And, and, and does that impact on the overall sort of net return? So, so this thing that's really at the heart of, of broader business decision making and then I think there's a couple of other bits. So there's 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 opportunities. So this is where the tax guy or person or whatever you want to say can be the real the real hero. So if the company is is one that's trying to become more green or or even reinvent its business from being, you know, an oil company to renewables, those sorts of things, can you access grants or tax incentives which might really really help the funding or the the ROI? You know, you can even make some of the changes pay for themselves. And as I say, that's that's the way to make yourself a, a real hero for the business. Uh, and then I think the, the kind of final one is is this responsibility point. And, and as we said earlier, I think most businesses today do recognize that they've got some kind of responsibility to, to contribute to the countries they operate in through the tax system, because know it pays for the infrastructure they need it supports the local people they need either as their employees or as their customers or both um so this isn't just about altruism it's about you know making good business sense and i was reflecting when we were were coming up to this talk i was reflecting it might be hard to believe now but but when i was um uh, my early years as a tax professional there was this american magazine called cfo today and it used to rank hero CFOs. And the hero CFO definition was one who could get his effective tax rate as close to zero as possible. And <laughs> um, I think we have moved on a lot from that. I think we probably would all roll our eyes at that, if I'm honest. Although, you know, there is still a little bit of speaking out of both sides of your mouth. Because I do, I do think some companies get it. But there are some who still can't help themselves seeking out these, these artificially low um, tax rates, but anyway, I, I, I think the key here is is having an explicit tax strategy, which mm-hmm. which spells it out and being you know transparent about what you pay where. So some of those reporting rules that that we have now go a long way, I think, to to focusing the mind on, on that.
1: Right, t- totally. Um, and what's your view of ESG scores? Is 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 it the case that the scores are just about the robustness of the system? And it's totally unconnected to doing the right thing. Is, is is that how we should look at it? Or how
2: do, how do you see it? I, I, to answer your last question, I don't think that's how we should look at it. Do I think people are looking at it a bit like that? I think there is a risk. Um, I mean, I think you have to, Yeah, you know, when I'm talking to clients, I, I, I say, you have to remember that the ESG scores are the outcome of what the business is doing. They're not just a standalone thing. Um, if you see it as a thing, then it's easy to get into that kind of tick box mentality, or, or or you get overwhelmed by the demands for information. Some companies are getting, you know, questionnaires and demands every day, and it's, you know, and they've got a business to run. So it, it can be a bit, a bit overwhelming, and then you lose the value of it. But and, and so I don't know why people are skeptical, but I I, I think I think you have, like them or loathe them, they they are a fact of life. So you do need the quality data, and you need as as much of the sort of positive stuff that you've got out there because you know, having best kept secrets is is no good if people don't know about it. So so I think what companies need to do, what I advise companies to do, is 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 really. Get a clear set of actions around the things that matter most in the business and where they can make the most difference. You know, if you are a carbon intensive business, then you do need to be addressing your your carbon levels. If you're perhaps a professional services firm, carbon might be less critical. But some of the other things like tax might you might dial up. So you need to work out what's important and then you get the data. To see where you are, where you want to be, and then evidence how you're how you're moving along, and, and you report that to your stakeholders, and then that of itself should drive these higher scores, um, but at the same time as as you know, driving better business returns. Right. It's easy to be cynical, I think, and I and I get it. But I think they are a fact of life.
1: Yeah, and presumably these kind of scores can can never be a, a measure of morality. You know, it can't can never oh, be yeah. an ethical rating. Um, and it. I, I assume, you know, I, I haven't got involved in the weeds of, of this at all, but it's it's more about the robustness of the evidence and the transparency and um and the reliability of the information that's being put out.
2: I think so. I mean, you know, you can get perverse results, you know, because each each different rating agency weights things in different ways. So you right. could take something like Tesla, and some with, agencies would give it a highest G rating because it's leading the electrification of cars, you know but others would say oh yeah but what about recycling the batteries that's a that's a big environmental problem so they'd mark them down for that or you know completely differently they look at the governance arrangements and you know how how they're how they're run as a business and they'd mark them down for that so so you could you could perversely end up with it having an a plus score or a you know right c minus so so you, you've got to look at them with common sense um which is why I say, yeah, I don't think you can chase the rating. You have to chase what you're doing in the business, believe in it, and then, you know, educate people that, that you know, of the good things you're doing, get get the good news out there, backed by data, because you're absolutely right. You do not want to be accused of greenwashing, and there's a lot of greenwashing going on.
1: Got it. Yeah, t- totally. Um, and do you see a link between ESG ratings or ESG generally um, and the approaches of individual tax authorities? For example, in Australia, the ATO's, justified trust approach to to transfer pricing and tax compliance generally in terms of looking at corporates and the approach to audits and so on
2: you're testing me because it's sometimes sometimes (laughs) since my days as an active tax practitioner but but i do watch tax developments in this in this space even, even if it's from a little more distance and um from what i know about the ato approach it's based on i think sort of OECD principles around this, this stuff and, and, and yeah I think I think you can make a link because you could argue that in a mature society the company and the tax authority have a shared objective that the right amount of tax is paid. I mean maybe that's a bit idealistic but I think it's essentially true even if there are differences in, in interpretations and, in, and differences in particular areas by and large people want to pay the right amount of tax and so the, the authorities want them to do the same. But the theory here is, I think, if you can demonstrate good governance and ethics, good processes and controls around data and compliance and, you know, transparent and constructive dealings with the tax authority, then the tax authority, ATO in this case, can legitimately treat you as a lower risk taxpayer and they can have a lighter touch and a more risk based approach to the relationship. So that that feels totally in tune with this kind of maturity around around how you deal with with, with that particular stakeholder. I I think whether that plays out in practice um, depends on a lot of factors, whether there's authenticity, whether there's trust, whether the the, the contacts on both sides have got the maturity of skills to to work in this way, Um, as well as the quality of data. Because if you say something, but the data doesn't back it up, you're you're quite rightly in trouble. Uh, So we go back to this kind of greenwashing challenges again. Um, but I think the theory to answer your initial question, I think it is totally um, aligned yep. with, with with ESG.
1: Yep, I, I I would agree as as well. Just from a, a high level perspective, is it's all about um, the the kind of reliability of the intents. In other words, what you say that you're trying to achieve is is that believable and is it backed up by the systems necessary to produce reliable data? I guess.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, it's which is trust. Trust at the heart of that, isn't it? But but you have to earn that trust with those
1: different features. Cool. So 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 just picking up on the responsibility. I think that 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 was or responsibility was was the fourth bucket that you mentioned. And we were just talking about transparency in terms of disclosure. So um, obviously, in some countries, corporates are required to publish their tax strategies. Um, and perhaps in the past, or maybe still, it's, it's the case that a lot of these tax strategies are just extremely bland. Um, how, how, how can we get beyond that? Or is it, is it necessary to get beyond that? Uh,
2: I not think if are going to mean anything, it is necessary to get beyond that. But I, I think in the UK, it came in when I was head of tax. I, I, I think that's right. Um, I, I think this is partly about mindset and partly about authenticity. I mean, it's a bit like I always think it's hilarious when you're asked in the US Customs Declaration to say whether or not you're a terrorist. I mean, who's going to say yes? And and just saying that you have a tax strategy and that you pay all the taxes you legally have to do doesn't really add hugely much to, to the sum of knowledge. But I think there's two things I, I think the act of doing it does actually focus the mind of those outside the tax department on the fact that they're signing off on something that they're saying publicly. That was a bit like the SRO rules in the UK some years back. So maybe that it just of itself achieves something. Uh, But I think the real power is when companies use it as a focus for really thinking about what those statements actually mean and then, and then using that.
1: Yep. Totally. Um, I haven't done a comprehensive survey or anything like that, but you know a lot of the the, the tax policies or tax strategy statements say not a lot more much more than um, we pay the tax that we're legally obliged to do. C- can you give any examples of corporates who you think are doing better than average or doing it right or or, or something for us to look at as a positive example? Um,
2: yeah, I, th- I think I think a lot of them have come a long way, and, and some of them go. A little bit beyond what you're saying but but yeah again some of its truisms why, why you wouldn't say anything different and they're pretty anodyne. but I think there are some good ones around I, I I quite like the Vodafone one um if you look at that it's much more than it's actually a document but it's a public document and it's really thoughtful I think it's it qualifies the, the sort of bland statements and it and it attacks head-on some of the things which can be ambiguous and problematic so it spells out the different areas like business partnering. It addresses lobbying. You know where, where, where that may or may not be um, appropriate. And they talk about what they mean by tax value. So I think it's really excellent. I think it, you know, going to the question, does it does it add something to mm. to your appreciation of what they're doing from the tax value? Oh, I think it. I think it does. Um, so I think that was definitely worth a, a look.
1: Great, thank you. It's always good to have a positive model to uh, to, to to look at. Um, so, so if if we take the sort of ESG theme and apply this specifically to tax advisors, transfer pricing advisors in you know, so the, the advisory world. How do you think the approach of advisors need to change um, to take into account ESG as an issue that their clients are facing?
2: Yeah, um, I don't think they should change because of ESG so much as, as an extension of of what I think has been happening anyway, the trends you and I have just been talking about, but OECD pressures and so on, particularly around things like transfer pricing. Um, so setting pricing to genuinely fairly reflect the value that you're generating in a country, you know, the profit that you're making there. You know, we can all think about some you know, tech or online extremes where you've got an entity in a in a country, it's employing loads of people, it's got loads of customers, they're paying loads of revenues. Sometimes there's even tangible goods floating around. And just intuitively, everyone would feel you should be making a profit there and paying tax. And then they're not because everything's stripped out to a low tax jurisdiction with royalties and interest and management charges and product handling and all that stuff. And I think you just have to say, is that is that? fair is it respecting the community could you i think this isn't a bad test could you justify it to your mother (laughs) or your grandmother or your kids sometimes people say you know does does it really honestly stack up and and i think that's not a bad filter it's no no one's saying you should pay more tax than you should but but what should It, it, it should be fair um and then i think there's a sort of just a more general thing that that you know, you need to recognise the business changes which which ESG is, is prompting. So, you know, loads of companies are looking at. I, I touched on it earlier. If your if if your supplier of your components in a country is is increasingly prone to floods, the business will look at diversifying its supply chain to mitigate the risk. You'll buy from another country or whatever. Um, or if you're exporting to a country with a carbon tax, you might change your production processes to reduce the carbon in your product so that it stays competitive. And as a business partner, as, as, as tax people, you really want to be at the heart of those discussions and decisions because you really want to make sure all the tax aspects are properly factored into that transformation. So they don't just make the switch and then suddenly they're shocked because, you know, the the, the business plan looks totally different, the, the projection of profits. So I think that's just the same as before, but but EST does mean you've
1: got to dial it up a bit, I think. Fine. So so, so from the perspective of a head of tax of, of a large corporate, um, what, what does that mean? Is it about maintaining or increasing visibility within the organisation so that you get advanced warning of these projects? Are, are, there, are there other specific things that heads of tax need to specifically think about now that maybe they haven't been thinking about? In connection with
2: esg yeah I I, I I mean certainly that point is critical and i think you have to keep pushing at that honestly because you know the, the business can forget so 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 they need to do that a few extra things i think they do need to do i mean i, I go back to what i said at the start you know this isn't some little csr thing about taking I, my thing is plastic cups out it's not it's not a small csr thing this is this is business centric and it's not good enough i think for anyone in the business, but we're talking about tax professionals. not good enough to not understand what this is about. It, it, this, is a, this is a core competency now, I think, for anybody in business. Um, and so I think as a, as a head of tax in any kind of organisation, I think you need to make sure your team really get that. You've really got to set the base so that they understand what ESG is about, um, understand how it impacts the business, and then they can start to think about how that impacts how they contribute to the business. And and you know, the flip of this is people are really interested in this stuff. You know, you start ha- educating them around climate change and how it might impact them. They love it. I mean, they really love it. So there's a there's a there's a dual thing, I think, in that. So that education thing I think is is really important. And then I think you have to do something to really start to think about where you can play a, a constructive role helping the organisation deliver against the ESG strategy and improve its ESG ratings. We've talked about how important they are. They are a factor life. So what I would suggest there is I think you need to do a bit of work with your team to work out what's material in your type of business, what you should prioritise, what data you'll need to monitor the progress and measure the success. That might not be easy to get. So how do you go about that? Um, And really start to to have a bit of a plan. and then you know we've said it be be really effective business partners. So armed with that, um, you know, make sure they've got the right business and relationship skills. Understand where they can add value and plug into the business, and and kind of make yourself do it. Because sometimes it's easier to, to to watch from the sidelines. Really make sure um, you're in the mix. I, I I was reflecting again looking looking back at my time as a as a as a sort of early tax partner. Um, I had a a counselling session with someone who wasn't in tax and he he asked me who my tax role model was and I gave a name and he gave another name. And he said, the reason this person is my role model is because when he's in a meeting, you don't know he's a tax person. And that was actually a really liberating point for me, because I suddenly realised when I was in a session, I had had wider views on things which were just as relevant to the discussion as other people's. And if you just, as a tax person, sit in a meeting and when they say, OK, and what about the tax implications soon? You sit forward and you say the tax implications, then you sit back and you shut up. You are not doing yourself justice. You're not adding the value to the business that you could. And you're boxing yourself. And and so I really think this thinking more broadly, recognising that you can contribute to the wider debate in this context around ESG. I think it's critical around ESG. um, I just think that makes you a, a better tax professional. Uh, all
1: around that's, that's such an interesting point and obviously uh, it applies to every individual in every role you know f- from the perspective of corporate lawyers which which is what we are um you look back at the former structures that were put in place and well, how, how did everyone just remain silent it's because they thought their role was just to comment on clause 17 or whatever and actually that that it's it's not that you kind of hold a monologue every time that things come up but they're, they're, there is a voice
2: yeah, asked. and it's very, as I say, liberating. It's
1: very satisfying. Yeah. Yes, totally. <laughs> Great. So, so when we were catching up, um, I think it was last last week, and you were talking about your your typical role as an ESG consultant, and I think you used the phrase targeted interventions um, in relation to ESG and helping corporate. So what, what do they look like, and who tends to bring you in on these kind of projects?
2: So, um. I, what, what I suppose I'll say is nothing nothing we've been talking about today is, is more than common sense, but I do find that the demands of ESG and this whole ESG reporting thing are putting teams um, under a lot of pressure. that can be really overwhelming. everyone's flat out busy already they don't need something extra. And so the people who come to me and ask for help are those who feel the weight of that on their shoulders. So sometimes that's the board and the executive. But it's also functional leaders working out how to manage with their team. You know what what it means for them. So it could be finance, uh, it could be HR, it could be could be legal department, or 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 indeed tax. So what I do is is probably in a in a short workshop is is I, I do that bit I talked about before. So helping people understand what the context is, but then coming up with this properly prioritised plan by focusing on what matters most to your stakeholders, the different stakeholders in the business what's most material and where you can move the dial, where you can make a real difference. And then as one of my clients puts it, you work out what you do now. So the quick wins, the things that can make you an early hero, um, what you do next, the things that have got a longer lead time, but where you need perhaps a bit more work to get them underway, but are really, really going to have massive impact. And then this is important, I think, what you do sometime. So things that are really nice to do, but you know what? If you never get around to doing them, that's absolutely fine. Um, and I think if you do it like that, it can be very liberating because it, it gives you a focus. It shows you how you can make a difference, and how you can articulate how you're making a difference. But importantly, I think it, it shows you how you can embed that in business as usual because just, this is business as usual. It's not, it's not going to go away.
1: Right. Really interesting. And it, it's so it sounds like your your role in this space is, is not – purely about the interaction between esg and and tax and that's that interface although you know you have particular experience there it's it's Mm -hmm. it's it's a wider back to the drawing board or or starting with a blank sheet's role to esg and what do you want to get out of it what do you need to get out of it
2: it it is and but but then it's making it relevant to people so so I've, i've done one recently with with um an hr team and so I think you do need this broader context, because go back to what we have just been saying, if you box yourself into a tiny bit, you're, you're, you're doing yourself down in the business sense. So you have to understand the wider context and the under, understand the stakeholders who, who, who matter, who, who are critical to your business. And then you, I think, look with your lens, your tax lens, to see whether that's cash flows, whether it's, you know, Profit hits, whether it's incentives, all those sorts of things, where you can make a difference to that agenda, given your functional specialism, and how you then play that in as part of a structured plan.
1: Fantastic, great. Well, Sue, thank you so much for spending some time with with us. I certainly feel a lot clearer about the whole area, um, albeit we've only just scratched the surface. So, thank you again for uh, for sharing your thoughts with us.
2: Good talking to you Paul.
0: Thanks for listening to the Elstian Legal podcast. We'd love to hear what you think. You'll find the contact details on our website, elstianlegal.com. And in the blog section of our website, you'll find a transcript of this episode with Sue Bonney's contact details. And in the blog and the training hub section, you'll find more discussion of some of the issues that were touched on in this episode. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe. Go to your podcast provider and search for the Elstian Legal podcast. Thank you and goodbye.